0: I'm Alexandra de Blas, and this is The Regen Report, a monthly podcast about taking regenerative agriculture to scale and diversifying life on the land. Hello, and welcome to The Regen Report. In this episode, we visit the first farm in Australia to receive soil carbon credits, and we meet Matthew Warnken, founder of Australia's leading soil carbon solutions company.
1: We're uh, aiming to be in the, the vicinity of nearly 30 million hectares by 2030. That sounds like a large number and it is a lot of hectares, or a lot of acres. But when you look at the scale of agriculture and you look at the scale of what's required in terms of how we feed ourselves as a society... Even at that 30 million, 75 million-odd acres, uh, we're still only getting started in terms of agriculture being material to the climate change equation.
0: Matthew Warnkin, founder of AgriProve and Corporate Carbon, is coming up shortly to tell us why and how he believes soil carbon farming can scale to those dizzying heights in Australia. When we look at the rising concentrations of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, we've got a lot of serious work to do. The focus of this podcast is on building soil carbon and regenerative agriculture at scale. Scale being the operative word. The Paris Agreement commits us to limit global temperature to 1.5 degrees above pre-industrial levels, or 2 degrees Celsius max. Globally, agriculture, forestry and land use account for 23% of human-based greenhouse gas emissions. But while agriculture is an enormous source of greenhouse gases, if done differently, it can also be a vital carbon sink. The potential to draw down carbon from the air and store it in healthy soils and natural systems is massive. Here at the REGEN Report, we'll explore and share the innovations and practices that will help us scale rapidly with integrity and scientific rigour. And we'll also cover all aspects of the emerging industry. Australia is really interesting. We've got a unique set of government-regulated methods and frameworks which can underpin the emerging soil carbon industry. And the Australian Government's Emissions Reduction Fund, or ERF, provides a guaranteed market. It also has bipartisan support, which is very rare and fortunate in the Australian climate arena. If soil carbon reaches its potential, it'll give us an opportunity to provide international leadership.
1: This was planned
2: three weeks ago? Yep, a bit over three weeks, three and a half weeks. And um, haven't had much rain since, but we'll have a look and see what we've actually got underneath here. Nice fresh young roots coming down out of the trench of the machine. We've got peas starting to go right down, breaking up.
0: In March 2019, Victorian beef farmers Niels and Maya Olson were awarded the first soil carbon credits in Australia under the Federal Government's Emissions Reduction Fund. The credits count towards Australia's national Paris targets, and they were the first soil carbon credits of this kind in the world. In the first two years, Niels sequestered 9.5 tonnes of carbon dioxide per hectare per year on his 100-hectare farm, and that was worth around $20,000 to him. Since he began carbon farming in 2015, his dry matter yields have risen to 20 tonnes per hectare, which is double the district average, and his livestock have never been healthier. Niels builds soil carbon using a machine he invented called the Soil Key Pasture Renovator. It's a seeder designed for sowing annual crops into permanent pastures to fill the feed gaps in summer and winter growth. He sows in more than a dozen varieties of forage, including peas, vetch, rye corn, barley, and tillage radish. This promotes a diverse root architecture which feeds the micro herd of organisms below the ground and the macro herd of cattle above it. On a hot summer morning, I caught up with Niels and Matthew Warnken from AgriProve in the farm's front paddock. The
2: soil carbon is produced by the breaking down of this uh, stubble dry, dry matter. Also, there's sugars that are exuded out of the root systems of the plant down into the soil and the sugars are straight carbon into the soil. The plant uses those sugars to feed the microbes that feed the nutrients back to the plant. This is a pea plant, Matthew, that we planted just over three weeks ago and we had seven mil of rain two days after we planted it and virtually nothing since, just a few heavy dews and it's um, kept growing quite well. But it's, it's already really doing a great job at fixing nitrogen nodulation on that root system that is the main driver for putting carbon back into the soil. That's the energy source for that to all happen.
1: Awesome. And, um, so you need nitrogen to grow carbon, So yes. you're growing your own nitrogen yes. uh, uh, in situ on, on the farm.
2: On, on the farm. In the, the middle of summer on the driest period it's still going quite fine.
1: And then all that root matter after the the peas grazed off by the cows then that goes straight into organic carbon.
2: In the soil. This soil structure has all, all been worked by the worms over the last six months through the winter. Now it's sort of at that point where it's sort of drying up a bit, getting firmer, but it still crumbles up quite nicely. Still got a bit of moisture in it, even though it hasn't rained for three weeks it's still quite moist. Your plants have got to be functioning fairly well to extract that moisture out and you've got to have your mycorrhizal fungi actually in there doing its job. You'll create good plant growth even though there's not much moisture around.
1: As a carbon project developer I visit a lot of farms around Australia there you was know, something immediately you know, different and special about you know, visiting the Olsens uh, place here. There's is, is that mix of species and you could actually feel that sponginess as you walked across each paddock. You know, I learned more about soils you know, in the sort of the time I spent with Niels and actually seeing in, in life as to what healthy soils mean. And you can actually see that structure, you can almost actually mm-hmm. smell that quality of soil. The exciting thing for us as a carbon project developers is every soil carbon credit that comes off this project is an independent verification of the overall farming system, which is soil carbon equals agricultural productivity.
2: When we first started here we had about 50 millimetres of topsoil on this area and underneath was a light grey and then it went into a yellow clay about 150 to 200 millimetres down. Now we've got quite a good functioning 150 millimetres of topsoil and that is enabling us to grow fodder in the summer when it's drier and in the winter when it's colder and wetter. It's been a real eye-open to us what's happening down deeper. Here we are increasing carbon a metre down and getting worms and and plant roots coming out the bottom of our sample. We have changed a fair few of the species that we're growing, like the deeper rooted plants, and, and that's really helped that and put the pathways down and now virtually all the plants are going down there, chasing that moisture the carbon that does get down there with the root system actually stays down there, it's very hard, it won't oxidise off with the sunlight and and burn off. Where before we were only accessing maybe 200 millimetres deep over the 100 hectares, now we're accessing a metre deep or more, and that area that we're now able to access nutrients from is equivalent to like a metre high bank of soil, 100 metres wide by 8 kilometres long. So there's 800,000 cubic metres of extra nutrients we can mine underneath our farm that we've always been farming on.
0: Farmer Niels Olsen with Matthew Warnken, the Managing Director of AgriProve. AgriProve is the company that partnered with the Olsens to create their soil carbon credits. It's a one-stop shop for farmers wanting to build carbon on-farm and generate credits through the Australian Government's Emissions Reduction Fund. Soil carbon projects have been slow to start, Niels Olsen is the only farmer to have been issued with credits so far. But that's changing, and some other projects are likely to be issued with credits this year. AgriProve is fast moving towards 100 projects registered with the Clean Energy Regulator under the ERF, and it's aiming to have 400 registered by the end of this year. The ERF has 755 active projects in total – so it won't be long before soil carbon eclipses other project types in the fund. To find out more about where soil carbon is heading, I caught up with Matthew Warnken on Monument Hill in Albury, country New South Wales, where some very vocal cicadas were keen to bring nature's voice into the conversation. Matthew, we're here in Albury where you're running the inaugural AgriProve strategy session where you've been talking with your team and others about the, the future vision for taking soil carbon farming to scale in Australia. I'd like to explore that with you in a moment, but you set up corporate carbon 10 years ago. You've just celebrated your 10th birthday. I'm interested to know more about who Matthew Warnken is and what got you into the carbon space in the first place.
1: Thanks, Alexandra. It's great to be here in Albury. We're actually setting up our regional headquarters, so getting out into the city uh, and more into a regional setting, so really excited to have more opportunities to interact with farmers on-farm. The last 20 years, when I look back at the projects I've been involved in, they've all had a carbon-related theme, whether it was renewable energy or um, diverting waste from landfill and and avoiding those, those methane emissions associated with waste management. So really establishing corporate carbon was a accumulation of all of those uh, project experiences and a real desire to make carbon credits real in a commercial sense. So to move from a lot of the the discussions and the narrative early in the 2000s was all about corporate social responsibility. Corporate social responsibility is good and those normatives about how we should improve and, and meet those sustainability goals are important. But fundamentally business understands revenue and business is a a really powerful shaping force on our civil society. So if we can align those revenue goals with delivering those environmental outcomes, then we have a tremendous lever to, to actually get to the scale we need to to address global problems like climate change and really we brought that thinking to AgriProof because we want to make those carbon credits, those environmental co-benefits, those additional sources of on-farm revenue real for farmers because then it can have a fundamentally powerful and positive change as to how farms are managed.
0: What does Corporate Carbon actually do? You work with the Emissions Reduction Fund.
1: Yeah, so Corporate Carbon is a carbon project developer quite unusual to other say carbon project developers in that we have projects in every sector of the economy. So we work across transport, across uh, industrial Energy. We work in savannah wildfire management, uh, native forest regeneration, environmental plantings, uh, waste. So, so we have a broad spread of over 100 uh, projects, uh, working with fantastic project owners, working with other project developers. And really, it's about solving the problem to access that form of additional revenue in, in carbon credits. So we're, we're quite innovative. We've got a string of firsts. In the emissions reduction fund uh, space. And uh, as a, a little side note, I was actually the authored the first method to come from a private sector uh, that made it into the uh, carbon farming initiative. From on then on we just basically take a very simple approach in terms of well, where is the opportunity and what needs to change to realise or access that opportunity.
0: In 2018 you spun off AgriProof from corporate carbon and you wanted AgriProve to focus solely on soil carbon. Their sister companies, what does AgriProve actually do and what's the opportunity for soil carbon?
1: So in setting up AgriProve, we're really looking at the soil carbon potential through the lens of a carbon project developer. And through that lens it's great because there's huge potential to create lots of abatement, which translates to lots of carbon credits. But really the opportunity goes further because of storing carbon in soils is all about improving productivity of farms, which is a a double dividend in terms of the actual on-farm benefits. And and then when you start looking further into the story, it's not just about improved farm productivity, it's about improved water use efficiency, it's about improved nutrient management, it's about improved water quality, it's about improved biodiversity outcomes. So there's this real wealth of opportunity, which all starts with that sort of foundational premise around building carbon in soil. So taking carbon out of the atmosphere where it's a problem and putting it into the soils, where it's a real asset, a real asset for farmers, and it's a real asset for delivering those environmental outcomes. Uh, Our business model is is actually built around a partnership. So we're experts at filling out forms, hurrah. And the great thing about the work that we're doing in Australia is that there are so many great innovative farmers who have got those systems and can build and store carbon in, in soils. So we think it's a great partnership in terms of, you know, us allowing farmers to do what they do best. We wrangle the forms in, in Canberra and ensure that we maximise those opportunities to get carbon credits. And even thinking broader than that, like we're really examining how we can play a supporting role. So where there are there opportunities for us to say, help in terms of you know, information provision, to help in terms of new products, new tools, new, new, new resources, and demonstrate them. In fact, one of the things we're really excited about this podcast, and we're really happy to be supporting the podcast, is this is a great platform to share those experiences, to share what's working. Again, to get to scale, we need to identify what works in terms of storing soil carbon, and we need to share the how-tos to be able to get that improvement mainstreamed into agricultural practice.
0: What sort of scale are you looking at.
1: As a company we'd like to be around for the long haul. We'd like to be in a position where at twenty fifty AgroProof was part of delivering billions of tons of abatement, which is great and, and, and lofty. But we wind that back in terms of well where are we now and what do we need to achieve over the next you know three to five years and over, over the next decade. So we're aiming to be in the, the vicinity of nearly 30 million hectares by 2030, which is a sort of a, a nice way of, of remembering it. And that sounds like a large number, and it is a lot of hectares, a lot of acres. But when you look at the scale of agriculture and you look at the scale of what's required in terms of how we feed ourselves as a society. Even at that 30 million, 75 million odd acres, uh, we're still only getting started in terms of agriculture being material to the climate change equation.
0: How do you think of soil and carbon drawdown in terms of the whole climate change problem?
1: I see soil as foundational. That's obvious, like when you bring everything back to, well, we need to feed ourselves, we need to grow fibre. But the critical turning point in terms of the climate change equation in delivering a safe climate is about the concentration of greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. So it's a twofold problem. The first part of the, the problem is that we're pumping more carbon dioxide, more greenhouse gas emissions into the atmosphere, which is increasing the concentration of greenhouse gas emissions. Now, there's some great things happening in terms of the renewable energy space, and we're definitely on a track to hitting net zero emissions from an energy equation perspective by 2050, which is incredibly hopeful. But to have a safe climate, we need to draw that back down to the sort of 300 parts per million to where we were around about the Industrial Revolution. And the only way that I can see that we can draw down that large quantity, talking billions of tonnes Of carbon dioxide, taking that out of the atmosphere through plants, through photosynthesis, is storing it in soils. So soil, soil carbon, these improved farming mechanisms is absolutely fundamental to humanity's hope of delivering a safe climate, not only for ourselves but for future generations.
0: How much carbon can you actually build?
1: Soils will have a natural point of equilibrium. Looking at that question in terms of how much carbon can soils hold, you really have to look at, well, what's the kind of carbon content of topsoil? You know, good quality topsoil, that rich dark chocolatey brown, high organic carbon content uh, soil. So let's you know, say good quality topsoil is 8%. You know, your soils are going to max out at about 8%. In Australian conditions, there's still 5 percentage points across the board of potential soil organic carbon storage because it's very rare to find levels of soil organic carbon up over three percent so even if you're looking at achieving that level of increase just in the top 30 centimeters we are talking about storage of over 600 tons of carbon dioxide equivalent per hectare 625 odd carbon credits we're actually growing soils in real time so in a country like australia which takes geologically eons time to create soil we can actually, year by year, actually build that layer of topsoil. So nature's not linear, so it's not like in the top 30 centimetres you're going to get up to 8% and then that's just going to stay static. That soil profile is going to deepen, it's going to deepen and deepen. So if then you start talking about deepening the soil profile to you had a metre of topsoil, 8% topsoil on a farm, then we are talking about storage potential per hectare of over 1,500, maybe 2,000 tonnes carbon dioxide equivalent per hectare, which is a phenomenal amount. Now that's going to take 50 odd years to get there, but what a remarkable thought, looking out the paddock, saying we're going to turn that into a metre of topsoil and think about what you could grow in a metre of topsoil. Think about what your water holding capacity would be. So how much carbon can soils hold? Lots.
0: <laughs> yeah, but most soils are not going to be able to hold that amount of carbon, surely, because the carbon will be broken down for all manner of reasons.
1: No, I I disagree. I I think that goal of creating topsoil, the long-term vision of creating a metre of topsoil is achievable. Each year, if you're growing more, you're putting more organic matter down into soils like Depths, you're creating more and more abundant biological life. You are essentially creating topsoil, worm-cast-esque soil on your farm and just layering it in year after year after year after year.
0: You're starting off working with pasture and grazing. How much potential is there in Australia for soil carbon farming?
1: Last year we did the analysis just on pasture. There's roughly 30 million hectares of pasture with more than 300 mil rainfall and trying to adopt a a gradated view as to what we think can be deliverable. That amount of land, if that was optimised for carbon sequestration, would be delivering nearly 150 million tonnes of sequestration per year from the, the pasture lands. And when you consider there's we've got at least 30 million hectares of, of croplands, and there's untold million hectares of mixed horticulture. And then we do have those larger rangeland stations. You know, we're talking for the Australian context, hundreds of millions of tonnes of potential abatement realisable through building soil carbon on farm systems.
0: What sort of returns can farmers expect to obtain per hectare?
1: It's not so much about the carbon credit revenue because the real returns that farmers are telling us, their, their real motivation for getting into the program is really a verification as to what their farming system is delivering. But they're looking for those on-farm benefits. So increased water holding capacity, more drought resilience, that improved productivity, better animal health and welfare from you know, better quality of feed on offer. So there's a multitude of benefits and multitude of drivers that farmers are looking to access or harness in terms of participating in these soil carbon projects.
0: You didn't give a figure how many tons of carbon do you think farmers are going to be able to achieve and how much money do you think they can
1: earn? So in talking to farmers so again say in the context of grazing systems with you know decent rainfall farmers can expect an extra fifty to hundred dollars of net revenue on their farm per hectare from participating in a soil carbon project. Now there's a the usual asterisks and caveats and your results may vary according to different farm types, but that is material to farm operations and the important thing to highlight too is because it's not the fundamental driver behind those change of practices, it's additional revenue, so it's revenue straight onto the bottom line. So that $50 to $100 straight into the, the profit equation does shift those returns for farmers.
0: AgriProof charges a 25% success fee, to many farmers that would seem like pretty high percentage. Why do you charge that much?
1: We're a commercial entity so we've thought long and hard about what's our best model of actually earning our revenue. The important thing about a success fee is it's a performance-based payment. So if the project doesn't perform then the farmer's not out of pocket. So we really struggled a lot with you know what is the most fairest business model, what's the fairest revenue proposition to put to farmers, sitting across the table discussing various options. And there are some quite high costs in the setup of a soil carbon project, costs associated with baselining and the administration, the the planning, the ongoing monitoring. And there are some long-term obligations too, 25 years of obligations for reporting and monitoring. Overwhelmingly, farmers are saying to us, make it simple, uh, make it easy, we want to farm. We're happy to commit to improving our practices, but they don't want to have to deal with all of the legislation or the regulatory um, aspects. So that's, that's where we come in. And our model is more than just the success fee because you know there's no audit fees that come back to farmers. It's a great way too, because we register the projects in our name. So we are the project registered participant. The farmer's always the project owner. But it future-proofs farming operations in terms of succession. We make it very easy to address those issues of succession in terms of selling uh, the farm so that a carbon project doesn't create an administrative nightmare for farmers when it comes to the point of sale. So again, that was really important. And things like not registering anything on title. Again, that was seen as as really important. And working with us, there's nothing that's uh, registered on on title. We believe strongly... We're presenting an engagement model that works best for all parties because interests are in line, and we're ensured that we're there to help those farmers you know, manage and get the best out of soil carbon projects that they can.
0: What are the upfront costs for farmers for things like baselining, that initial measurement to find out how much carbon is in the soil to begin with?
1: The soil carbon method in Australia is a measurement based method so that does mean you have to physically go out and measure the soil organic carbon levels on the farm. And just recently, we've introduced an option for farmers to avoid having to pay that cost up front. Uh, So it's paid for out of the flow of carbon credits down the future. So we can now offer farmers a no-cash-cost up front pathway to participation. So we'll quote in dollars for the baseline uh, sampling test or in in future carbon credits.
0: In March 2019, the first soil carbon credits were awarded to Niels Olsen and to AgriProof. How significant was it to get those first soil carbon credits under the Emissions Reduction Fund?
1: Oh, it was tremendously important for a multitude of reasons. One, just to show that it is possible. Up until that point, overwhelming response to the prospect of soil carbon projects was, well, no carbon credits have been issued, it can't be done. So as a proof point, we showed it could be done. Two, it was a great validation of uh, Niels's soil key system based around planting mixed forage species on top of a pasture and then in terms of how that works in building soil organic carbon. And really importantly, I look back at that point in time when there was a real shift beginning in Canberra in terms of the policy stance towards soil carbon and in terms of placing the importance of soil carbon as a key pillar in the government's technology roadmap to delivering a low emissions future we were very fortunate to have david parker who's chair and ceo come down to Niels's farm and have the presentation ceremony of those those first uh, carbon credits and david and and the regulator are doing a great job in terms of innovating within their own senses how to make the administration of soils and of carbon credits easier and they are a world-class regulator and it really lifted the whole profile and the whole importance into the potential of soils and the, the critical roles that soils will play in delivering a safe climate and we can see you know, the benefits of lifting that profile in terms of minister taylor's recent announcements about making soils a priority about the expansion of the mandate in australia for the clean energy finance corporation to be able to fund soil carbon projects and even the renewable energy agency, who's previously had a very narrow focus just on energy, that expansion, that mandate to now include you know, soils, I believe can be traced back to that key event where we had the, that issuance ceremony of those first soil carbon credits. So incredibly important to prove it can be done. So from here on in, the work is okay, we've got the first, and let's get the, the next 10, the next 100, the next you know, 1,000 farms delivering soil carbon credits.
0: How many credits did Niels actually get? How, how much carbon did he produce?
1: So, Neil's has had two rounds of credits issued. So he got 2,000 credits issued on a 100 hectare farm uh, over a period of two years, so around about 10 credits per hectare per annum, which is a a fantastic result in terms of soil carbon storage.
0: How does that compare to the amount of credits that can be generated by trees?
1: Fascinatingly, it is comparable to the amount of storage that you can get from, say, just environmental plantings or uh, a perimeter plantings in terms of trees and their tree growth. Now, trees are fundamentally important, but in a way they're passive stewardship, because you you plant and then once established, hands off, whereas soils is very much an active stewardship um, proposition.
0: You've now got almost 100 farmers registered under the Emissions Reduction Fund. You've got slightly over 100 pending, and uh, you've got another 200 in the pipeline. How are you feeling about the progress that you're making?
1: We've really been encouraged by farmer response to the soil carbon opportunity, especially through the the last year, which we were dealing with COVID and made it very difficult, possible to get out and around to visit farmers. But that level of interest has has kept those registrations uh, ticking over. We're confident that from the 100 projects we've got declared with the regulator, that we'll be able to increase that fourfold this this next year. So we're building our team, we're working more on improving the the systems. So that's been great. The response from farmers has been great. We would have liked to have been at that sort of hundred point a bit earlier. The last year we have been doing a lot of work with the clean energy regulator about working through some technical challenges. Because again, it's not about just registering one or two farmers in the context of a year. We want to be able to do four hundred, five hundred, you know, sort of a thousand. Have the capacity to a thousand farmers with it within a year. And now, when you put that in the context of the entire emissions reduction fund, only has sort of 800-odd you know, projects in total registered, soils will soon outstrip and become the, the major you know, number of project registrations. So that creates some challenges, some administrative challenges for the Clean Energy Regulator. So we have been doing a tremendous amount of work getting those processes bedded down so that we can be confident of getting those registrations turned around really quickly. Last year was really about getting the registration sorted. This year is all about getting baselining and making sure that we can get farms registered and declared quickly with the regulator and get out quickly to actually do that physical baseline sampling so that the project can begin in terms of project implementation.
0: One of the exciting things about the change you've made to how you register with the regulator is that pioneers in regenerative agriculture can come on board. What's changed?
1: So uh, previously, in terms of registering a carbon project, one of the key eligibility requirements was doing something new on farm. Now, the the challenge for pioneers who've been leaders in in the space is they've already done all of the new things, making them ineligible. So what's changed is that we now use satellite data to show that there's a material difference to on-farm management practices in terms of building soil organic carbon. So we move away from that focus around have you done something new or not to now using data to demonstrate that additionality in real time.
0: Australia has quite interesting regulatory frameworks and we've got the Emissions Reduction Fund. What is unique about the Australian system that really positions us well to scale with soil carpets?
1: There are a number of unique aspects in terms of Australia and soil carbon. Like, for example, Australia is the only country in the world where if you store carbon in soils, it actually counts towards our Paris targets. So that does create us with that sort of unique leadership opportunity. The funding model through the Emissions Reduction Fund and now the Climate Solutions Fund means we've actually got a market for those soil carbon credits and a funding mechanism to get organisations and enterprises up and running, which is a feature that you don't see elsewhere in the world, like the ability to have long-term contracts for the sale of carbon credits is something that is uniquely Australian. And we're in the process now of a new method development with the Clean Energy Regulator taking on board even more advancements in technology to reduce costs and create more participation opportunities for, for farming. So Australia is unique and is very much developing a leadership position around soil carbon and how, how to do it and how to do it at scale.
0: These cicadas are incredibly noisy today. We really are having to work with nature.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's no point fighting nature.
0: Thank you for joining me on the first AgriProof podcast.
1: That's great, Alexandra. We look forward to checking in as the podcast develops and, and listening to how the, the podcast changes over time.
0: If you'd like to know more about the science of soil carbon, there's a link to a story I produced for the ABC Science Show on the topic on our website. And I'll also have links to a series of webinars by Declan MacDonald on growing top soils. If you've got any ideas you'd like to share for the podcast, drop me a line at alexandra.deblas at agriprove.io. Well, that's our first episode. I hope you've enjoyed it. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and share it with your friends and colleagues on your socials. I'm Alexandra Deblas, and this is The Regen Report. I'll catch you next time, and until then, stay safe.